0: john chapter 4 verses 7 to 26 if you are here with me could you please say amen Amen. when a samaritan woman came to draw water jesus said to her would you give me a drink his disciples had gone into the town to buy food will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Verse 15. The woman said to him, "Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to uh, keep coming uh, back here to, to draw water." In verse 16. He told her, "Go, call your husband and come back." "I have no husband," she replied. Jesus said to her. You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but the Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me. And his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Verse 25. The woman said, I know the, that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he would explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, how about if we read this sentence together? I, the one speaking to you, I am This is the word of the Lord. You may, may take a seat. Um, Today we continue with our series uh, What would you ask Jesus? And for the last few weeks We have been looking into some encounters Jesus has with different types of people So the first week We saw this encounter that Jesus has With a skeptic Last week we saw Jesus having an encounter With seekers And today we see Jesus interacting With a sinner An outcast and an outsider Interesting enough that those three words describe what we just heard and the testimony on the screen. A person that considers herself to be a sinner, an outcast, and an outsider. And what I want you to see here is Jesus' attitude and behavior toward these kind of people. Once again, what I want you to see here is Jesus' attitude and behavior toward these kind of people. The sinner, the outcast, and the outsider. And for that, we're learning from this well-known person in the Bible known as the Samaritan woman. And there are three things that we can learn from this narrative, from this interaction. Three things that we can learn about Jesus. Number one is that Jesus is always the initiator. Number two, that Jesus is always the challenger. And number three, that Jesus is always always the healer the initiator the challenger and the healer let's go with the first point jesus the initiator one of the most most amazing things um, we find when we read the gospel is that in most not all but that in most of jesus encounters and jesus conversations he's always having these kind of conversations with really broken people people in need And actually, the majority of Jesus' encounters, um, Jesus is most of the time initiating the conversation, and most of the time is Jesus asking questions. Because the God of the Bible, the God that we worship, is a God that pursues the people that don't want to be pursued. We see that right from the beginning of the Bible. We see that in Genesis chapter 3, right after Adam and Eve sinned. If you guys remember, they sin and they're running away from God and they're hiding from God. And it is not Adam and Eve coming back to God in repentance. But it is God pursuing them, asking Adam the question, where are you, Adam? That's exactly what we have here in the story of the Samaritan woman. It is Jesus going to her. It is Jesus asking the first question question it is not the sinner seeking for a savior it's a savior seeking for the sinner that's very important that you keep that in mind and we see that in verse 7 he reads when a Samaritan woman came to draw water Jesus said to her Will you give me a drink the reason why we have that phrase highlighted there it's because I need you to see God's attitude toward the sinner. You must see God's attitude toward the broken, toward the outsider, and, and toward the outcast. And not only you need to see that because we need to see God's attitude toward the sinner, but because this is also something that we must learn as Christians, if you are a Christian, You must see what the attitude of the Christian ought to be toward the sinner, the outcast, and the outsider. See, as believers, I don't think that we are called to avoid all contaminated people, quote-unquote. I don't think that as Christians we are called to to walk away from the world. If you remember Jesus' words, his prayer was, I pray that my disciples are in the world, but not of the world. Right from the beginning, we could see that Christians are not called to live in isolation and to avoid all the unwanted people, because that's not a biblical concept. It does not reflect the heart of our God. Therefore, it should not be something that we practice. We ought to do what Jesus did. He initiated, he pursued, and he sought. Now, I want you to see the woman's reaction, though. If you truly want to understand the whole thing, you must pay attention to the woman's reaction. And in verse 9, it says that the first thing the woman said to Jesus was, how can you ask me for a drink? Now, the reason why I'm using the words sinner, outcast, and outsider is because I believe that all these three words are kind of synonyms. But more important, the reason why I'm using the word sinner, outcast, and an outsider is because I believe that the reason why this woman is responding like this to Jesus is because that's the way she sees herself, as a sinner, as an outcast, and as an outsider. As a matter of fact, we know that she's not the only person that sees herself as that, but that other people see herself or see her as that. And I wanna give you five reasons. How, how wh- why is it that I'm saying that this is not only the way she sees herself, but the other way other people see her. Number one, five reasons. Number one, in that context and at that time, you will never find a man wom- talking to a, stranger, a strange woman in public, ever. And just as much, you will never see a woman speaking to a strange man in public, ever. Much less they would find a man and a woman having such an extensive, extended conversation. That would be simply impossible. And the reason, the reason behind this is because in that culture and at that time, both for the Jews and the Samaritans, women were considered uh, to be second-class citizens. Unworthy of being educated. People without credibility. This is one of the reasons why we know that uh, they, they would never be able to testify in court because their word meant nothing. So she was actually an outsider because, of, because she was a woman. Now I know that's offensive for us, but I want you to see Jesus' reaction. Because Jesus is breaking that barrier. Because for Jesus, a woman is just as important as a man. Amen? Second reason... Second reason why she's behaving and responding like this is because Jesus was considered to be a rabbi, a teacher. And at that time and in that context, no spiritual teacher would ever speak to a woman about spiritual things. Because to a certain degree, she was considered to be an unclean person. So here we have a woman that is an outcast, not only because she's a woman, but because she's uneducated. And once again, we see Jesus breaking that barrier. And he gives her the dignity and the value of having a conversation with her. And not just having a conversation, but having a theological conversation. Completely countercultural. Reason number three, which is read in verse 9 that the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. For the Jews, the Samaritans, were considered to be inferior because of their ethnicity. So she was a woman, she was an educator, but she was also an outsider because of her ethnicity. But Jesus once again breaks that barrier because Jesus knows that the value of a person is not bound to their ethnicity, to the color of their skin, not even because of their background. The value of a person is bound to the simple fact that all human beings are created in the image of God. Reason number four. The reason why this woman is asking this question to Jesus is because she knows that for Jews, she is what is considered uh, to be a spiritually impure person. So we know from history that the Samaritans, they had kind of a syncretistic religion, if you will. What they had done is they had taken some of the traditions and the, the beliefs of the, Jewish, of the Jewish beliefs, and they mixed them up and combined them with some pagan beliefs and created their own thing. That's actually very common today. You take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of that, and you create your own thing. Now, this woman knows that. So she is an outsider because of everything that I just said, but she's an outcast because of her personal beliefs. But I want you to see Jesus' reaction because he breaks that barrier as well. Because even for Jesus, personal beliefs do not determine the value of a person. An outsider and an outcast because of her gender, because she was uneducated, because of her ethnicity, and because of her beliefs. But more than that, she is an outsider and an outcast because she's a sinner. Listen, and not just any kind of sinner, the way we would say today, we are all sinners, but the kind of sinner that people even today will reject, which will be reason number five. Because according to the text, and I'll show you in a second, she's an immoral woman. If you read with me in verses 17 and 18, it says that this woman had been married five times. And now she's living with a man that is not her husband. Now, among scholars, there's different opinions about this. And there are some scholars that argue that we shouldn't assume that this woman was immoral. Because we don't know what happened to the five husbands. Maybe they died, right? Right? Violent. Maybe she's not guilty of any of this Maybe it just happened The problem with that though Is that in the Jewish tradition And this is not part of the law But it was more part of the tradition A woman would not be allowed To get married more than three times So from that, from that stand We could almost assume That people consider her to be a sinner Even if that was the case But I think that there's a stronger point in the text. And it comes from verse 6, which we didn't read. Uh, But if you go back and read verse 6, it says that she went to get water at noon. Which is the hottest part of the day. Which means that nobody in that culture and at that time would go to get water at noon. Because it was extremely hot. And we also know, because of the tradition and the history of these people... That no woman would ever go to get water by herself. Traditionally speaking, women will go together. What other scholars argue, and I happen to be in agreement with them, is that the reason why this woman goes at noon, and the reason why she's going by herself, is because she is a rejected woman. Because her society has rejected her because of her values and lifestyle. Because society had rejected her because she had been married five times and now is living with a man that is not her husband. And it's important that you keep in mind that this is a shame culture. Meaning that the way to punish people is to make them feel ashamed because everything that they have done. And the way to make them feel ashamed because everything that they have done The two punishment tools, if you will, was no interaction and isolation. That's a shame culture. So here we have a broken woman. An outcast. A sinner that had to learn to live with her shame. That had to learn to be rejected by many. That had to get used to being pointed by all. But even that barrier Jesus breaks. Because he looks for her. He initiates the conversation because the God of the Bible, it's a God that seeks for the lost, the outcast, the rejected, the unlovable, the outsider, the one that is full of guilt and shame. So I was thinking about this this week. I realize that the more I know God and the more I know the Bible, I think, the more I am convinced that the only reason why I am a Christian and the only reason why you're sitting here listening to this sermon today is because Jesus initiated the conversation, not you. It's a Savior seeking for the sinner and not the sinner seeking for the Savior. And the more I think about this and the more I understand what the Bible says and the more I think I'm understanding God, the more I am convinced that the only thing that I brought to my salvation, my only contribution to my salvation was the fact that I'm a sinner. That's it. Nothing else. Can you see God's attitude toward the sinner? Can you see Jesus' attitude toward you? Notice that there's no repentance involved just yet. Notice that she didn't have to fix herself before Jesus came to her. Notice that this is always Jesus meeting people just as they are. Just as they are. So the question that I was asking myself this week was, is this my attitude toward the outcast, the the, the outsider, and the sinner? Knowing that I'm a sinner myself. So I ask you, how how do you do with the people that are not like you? That, That they don't believe like you, that they don't act like you, that they don't live like you, that they don't look like you? Now, the beautiful thing about Jesus is not only that he meets people just as they are, but that he challenges people right where they are. And with that, I go to my second point, Jesus the challenger. So in verse 9, the woman tells Jesus, how could you ask me for a drink? And look at Jesus' response in verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would, have, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, I think that when Jesus is using the gift of God, he's talking about himself. He is the free gift of God. And notice that it says that not only he is the free gift of God, but that he is the living water. And I believe that Jesus is intentional about using the phrase living water here. Because when you look at the Old Testament, different passages in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, Isaiah 53, Isaiah 43, I believe that those places talk about uh, God as the living water. So in a way, what Jesus is doing is saying the God of the Old Testament is the same God that you have in front of you. Now, you've got to keep in mind that this story, it's almost like a summary. So we don't have all the details of the conversation. We have the most important things in the conversation. So there are things that we either assume or speculate because there are things that are not there. One of the things that I think is happening there is that when he says that, this woman, first of all, does not understand what Jesus is saying. She does not understand what Jesus is trying to say. He actually, she actually thinks that Jesus is talking about physical water. She's talking about the well. And we know that because in verse 12, she says, well, this is Jacob's well. Now, when Jesus notices that she does not understand, he says this in verse 13. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. And I believe that at this moment, she understands. I don't think that she understands everything, but she understands enough to know that Jesus is making a distinction between spiritual water and physical water. I think that Jesus is saying to her, I have what you need. You are a spiritually thirsty person, and I have the water you need. And there's a reason why Jesus uses the metaphor of water here. If there's one thing we all understand, I hope we all understand, is that without water, we die. Amen? It takes you about three days. An average person would die within three days without water. It is impossible to live without water. And I think that what Jesus is saying to her is, Without me, you'll die. What I have is what you need. It's a spiritual conversation. See, Jesus knows that she's spiritually thirsty. And Jesus is telling her, I am the only one that can quench that thirst. Now what is amazing about Jesus though is that he's the soul because he's kind of a soul doctor. Not only he's going to tell you something but he's going to point it to you. He's not just going to give you general information but he's going to point to the struggles in your heart. And he's looking at this woman and saying, "I have what you need. You are spiritually thirsty." And I want to point to you how unsuccessful you have been trying to quench that thirst. And that's the reason. The only reason, in my opinion, why verse 16, Jesus, in verse 16, Jesus says, Go call your husband, husband, and come back. See, some people, as I was reading this, some people think that Jesus is. Changing the conversation. I don't think Jesus is changing the conversation. Jesus is pursuing her heart. Jesus is about to challenge her heart. Jesus is about to show her how desperate she has been. Wanting to quench her thirst. Five husbands. And none of them enough. One more guy. And he's still not enough. I I think that's true for all of us. Maybe we don't struggle with the same thing. But I do think that we have different struggles and we thirst after things that could never satisfy. Maybe it's not relationships or maybe it's your career. Maybe it's not your career, but maybe it's possessions. Maybe it's not possessions, but maybe something else, a title or beauty or family or just anything. If there's one thing that I'm sure of is that all human beings have this tendency of thinking That anything created can satisfy our soul. I I know where we get that foolishness from. I know that it comes from Adam. I just don't understand it. Like, we all know that nothing satisfies our soul, and yet we pursue it. You know, the way I see it is like drinking salt water. I don't know if you like salt water, but it tastes nasty. (laughs) And the irony of it is that you drink it, and the more you drink it, and I know this because I've gotten drowned a couple of times, but the more you drink it, the more thirsty you are. Our pursuit for created things is like drinking salt water. And Jesus is saying to this beautiful woman, Let me point to you what you struggle is in your heart. Now, let's think for a second that you are this woman. How would you react? What would you say? Let me tell you what I would say and how I would react. Because maybe it helps you. I would do to Jesus the same thing that I do to my wife. See, whenever I I say to my wife, I'm going to do this thing, but I don't do it. And then my wife comes to me and says, "Hey, Hannibal, did you do what you said you were going to do? You know what I do?" I say something like, what you do to your hair?" <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> How many of you guys do that every now and then? <laughs> Nobody. I'm the only one. <laughs> That's exactly what the woman is doing. She's changing the subject. He's changing the subject, and we can see that in verse 19. Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. And in verse 20, let's talk about worship. Actually, D.A. Carson, in his commentary, he says this It is always easier to talk theology than to deal with the truth that is personally distressing. It is easier to find a distraction. It is easier to run. It is easier to hide. It is easier to pretend that there's nothing wrong instead of confronting the reality of our hearts. I would say that that's one of the reasons why as a society we are intoxicated by distractions. It's much easier to drown yourself than to confront the reality of your heart. I want to argue that that's the reason why we are such a busy society. Because it is easier to be busy than to deal with the reality of our hearts. It is much easier to run than to face the reality of our hearts. I am convinced that the reason why we have so so many idols is not just because we believe that they're functional. Saviors, but because our idols is a way, or yeah, idolatry is a way to cover our guilt and our shame. You know, an idol is anything good that you elevate, right? And you find meaning and significance and satisfaction in that thing. And I think that the reason why we do that so often is because we use idols as almost like a spiritual makeup. That in the outside, everything looks good. But in the inside, we're all struggling. And you know this, and I know this, that it doesn't matter how much we try, how much we have, how much we accomplish. It's just never enough. And it's never enough distractions. You can never be enough. Uh, we can never be busy enough, and you can never run fast enough. Sooner or later, we must confront the reality of our hearts because sooner or later... Jesus finds the way to challenge your heart. Now in the following verses, Jesus answers the questions, And once again, she tries to change the topic in verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. I believe that she's doing the same thing over and over again. And this time... Jesus responds in a more direct way and he says this to her, verse 26, I am He. I am the promised one. I am the one people have been waiting for. I am the living water. I am the one that satisfies your thirst. I am the one that have been look, you have been looking for in every relationship you have had. In other words, Stop running, stop looking, stop a life of dissolution, stop hurting yourself, stop using others and being used by others. Stop seeking for functional saviors and see me as your savior. Jesus meets this woman right where she is, but, she does not, but he does not leave her as she is. Jesus meets you right where you are. But he does not leave you as you are. He initiates, he challenges, and he confronts. How about if I tell you that even though we don't have the whole everything here in the text, how about if I tell you that I think that she actually became a Christian? It's my opinion and the opinion of people that are so much smarter than me. But if I tell you that something happened in the midst of this conversation in which she came to a realization that her thirst would only be satisfied in Jesus Christ. And the reason why I say that, and I'm going to my third point, Jesus the healer, is because of something that happened in verses 28 and 29. So the disciples come, come back, and when they come back, she leaves. Actually, you can see some of the cultural biases there. Because the first question they asked Jesus in verse 27 was, Why are you talking to that woman? But look at what verse 28 says. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, verse 29, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And most scholars argue that the phrase left the water jar there has a profound symbolism. She abandoned her old water jar because she had tasted the living water. And two, she goes to the town to the people that had previously rejected her And she says to them, come and see the man man who told me everything I ever did. Notice that it doesn't say, come and see the man who told me everything about me. But come and see the man that told me everything I ever did. You know what she's saying? Come and see the man that knows everything about my heart and did not reject me. Come and see the man that loved me even though I'm a sinner. Come and see the man that that understands me and approaches me even though I'm an outsider and an outcast. And when I think of this woman going back to the people that previously shamed her, that tells me that she found the freedom that only Jesus Christ could give. Notice this, when you read the text at one, you see that this woman... First met Jesus as a man. Then she met Jesus as a Jew. And then she met Jesus as a prophet. Eventually she met Jesus as a Messiah. And when she's running away from here, she knows him as a Savior. Somehow, she found freedom in Jesus. She doesn't know how exactly Jesus was going to take her shame away. She didn't know exactly how. But we do. Actually, this is the reason why verses 21 and 23 use the word time in two different occasions. And D.A. Carson would argue that every time, and I, and I look through every single passage in the, in the Gospel of John, every time the word time appears, is making some sort of reference to the cross. The reason why Jesus can take her shame away is because he was going to take her shame at the cross. The reason why Jesus goes to the cross and experiences thirst is so this lady could be satisfied. The reason why Jesus goes to the cross is to cover her imperfections in order to give her the freedom from guilt and shame. You know what? What I find amazing about this lady is that we don't even know her name. And it doesn't matter. She will be remembered forever. Let me put it this way. And I think that the ladies might understand them more than the men. So I've done a lot of weddings. Being Being a pastor, I've done a lot of weddings. And there's a phrase that some people think that is a cliche, but I think it's true. The phrase says that every woman looks beautiful on her wedding day. And I have to say that that is true. So, so let's say that you, before you got married or when you're going to get married, you know, you, you, you know all your uh, perceived imperceptions or imperfections, perceived imperfections. And you know that for that day, you, you ought to cover all those imperfections as much as you can. That's the whole plan of the wedding. <laughs> so there's a little bit of powder here, and a little bit of powder there. And a little bit of makeup here, and a little bit of makeup there. And a little bit of hairspray over here, and a little bit of extensions here, there. <laughs> and even the dress is, is designed to make you look the way you want to look. And I have to tell you, in all the weddings I've done, I've never, ever, ever seen a woman that does not look beautiful on her wedding day. I I get to see it from the front. So I get to see people's reactions, and I get to see the groom's reaction. I've never seen a man going like, never seen that. (laughs) This is serious, people, come back. Never seen that. And when I see this woman, I see it up and close, and truly, this woman look amazing, because all of her imperfections have been covered. Did you know that this woman, the Samaritan woman, when we went back to town, she saw herself as beautiful? even though she had five husbands and was living with one that was not her husband. Do you know why? Because somehow she understood what we understand today. That Jesus covered all of her imperfections. Ain't the gospel beautiful? Beautiful. That's it. That is the transforming power of the gospel. He initiates, he challenges, and he heals. Amen. Amen. You want to pray? Our beautiful Savior. In light of this text, we understand that the only reason why we are here and we get to worship you is because you came looking for us. Lord, we understand that the only reason why we get to say the things we say, to sing the words we sing, to confess the things that we confess is because you came to us first. And for that, we worship you and we thank you. Lord, and I don't know how many of us this morning feel ashamed and guilty. I don't know how many of us came today to church thinking that you are not for us, that we'll, you will reject us. But there's nothing farther from the truth. You meet uh, you meet us or you meet us just as we are. But you never leave us just as we are. You offer salvation. You offer freedom. You offer love. You offer beauty. You offer yourself. Please help us understand and believe this. To the point that we could get out of this place in complete freedom. In the name of Jesus we pray. And we all say, Amen.